0: Hey, welcome back to Blazing the Path, guys. 10-4. Full disclosure, this episode was recorded prior to the ending of Blazers Spurs. Over. What's up, you guys? I'll be getting back to a weekly Wednesday show starting next week. Hard to believe there have already been seven games since I last spoke to you, lovely folks. But here we are. Within those seven games, I believe we got to see what this Blazers team is going to look like more so moving forward than in the first two weeks. Definitely still sustainable, um, but there are going to be some breakdowns on both ends of the floor just because a lot of these guys haven't played together all that much yet. Granted, they're all putting in the work, um, you know, in practice and everything. Dame, Jeremy, these guys are renowned for how much effort they put into practicing. But that being said, playing, you know, 50 plus games a year together, Definitely helps out some of the other teams, you know, like Phoenix that have two, three years under their belt with their core. Um, But it doesn't look like a rebuild on the fly. Like we thought over the offseason, it looks like something that everyone is tapped into. Off the rip, starting with the game right after the last show was recorded, Blazers Grizzlies. It was a game in which the Blazers continued to gel and work well. Um, getting three to five driving layups in a row, creating space for someone to bury a three. When the defense kind of tightens up on the isos and on the guys that were getting the driving layups, it freed up, again, time for guys to get a shot off from the three-point line. One example being Yusuf Nurkic. He was able to get open threes. Really love seeing that he actually is just following through with the shooting motion and not doing what some centers do at the free throw line. And from three is really thinking about it, arcing it and then taking the shot and then breaking the shot because that's not how you should shoot a basketball. He does occasionally still kind of hesitate. And I wouldn't say overthink he's a brilliant guy. I wouldn't say overthink it seems as though he may have the kind of set shot kind of like, how they used to describe Lonzo Ball's kind of shot put shot where he has the tendency to just naturally go up and hold the ball midway through the shot before he shoots. I think it's just going to happen every now and then but it's good to see that that has diminished drastically and I think that's going to enable him to hit two three threes a game at times where he might take three threes in a game before and not make any of them or make one here or there. Coming down to the wire in the fourth quarter, Jeremy Grant, again, kind of played the closer role. It's not always going to be a victory, but he was aggressive in the fourth quarter. He drew an and one to make it 107-103. And then with the foul, it was 107-104. They could have relied on Anthony Hart, Keon, Sharp more at the end, the guys that kind of have that Wired energy, being that young and aggressive. Um, And I would like to see that more this season. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think it's going to happen just because these guys are the type of guys that can be that spark plug. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a coach in the NBA that doesn't see that, and I think Chauncey Billups sees that. Um, There was a play... Uh, when the Blazers were down six where Josh Hart definitely fouled John Morant um, when he missed a shot. And I thought right there um, that, you know, being down six with four minutes left, roughly four minutes, four and a half minutes, uh, that could be, you know, kind of the play that changed the game. Um, And then imagine my surprise. When Anthony hit two threes in a row, it tied at 96. Um, but the Blazers just could not seal the deal down the stretch. Jeremy and Anthony um, stepped in in big moments, hitting hitting big shots towards the end of the game, but they just weren't able to pull it off. And you kind of move forward from this game, saying, "Huh." We held John Morant to 37% field goal shooting. You have to be tremendously happy with that. However, Desmond Bain ended up shooting 63% from three. So you kind of, you know, have the type of thing where whoever Josh Hart is not stepping up and double teaming or coming over to pick up and defend um, on a mismatch or something like that um, for the guy that's mismatched, you know. That guy probably is going to go off. I'd like to see the Blazers make an adjustment on that, especially, you know, the games after the Grizzlies game. I'll talk about, you know, in a little bit. It kind of shows that, you know, if someone's getting beat, if someone's dropping over 20 points, it's not on Josh Hart. So the other two guys, when they're doing these zone defenses, as a lot of um, Blazers podcasters have been talking about frequently, um, how are they going to stop getting burned on those? That's a question that's yet to be seen. But the zones are working. Don't get me wrong. So the Blazers lose that one, 111-106 to 106 as the final. Next game up, they had the Suns. Um, you'd be hard-pressed so far, maybe even sustainably in the future, to find a game where Shaden Sharp doesn't have a beautiful dunk in the first half. And it's not going to be every single game, but... I think his future is, yeah, no, it's every single game. Um, he hit a corner fadeaway three early in the first quarter. It was just absolutely nutty. <laughs> and then um, once again, Portland showed up in the first half against the playoff team. That was virtually unheard of last season. They, they're they're actually up 10, 59-49 at the half to the Suns. Um, so many of these guys acquired the last three years who fit the bill of, You know, buy into my game and my goals, my persona on the court, and I'll buy into the franchise with all I've got, um, I don't know how many of those guys there are left in the league. I think everyone would aspire to be that, claim to be that, but these three guys in particular that they brought in the last few years, um, definitely, you know, show it with their actions and with their character, um. In the third quarter, the f- fourth quarter, in the whole <laughs> in the whole game, um, primarily that's Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, and Justice Winslow. Just wow, a lot of people have been talking about Justice Winslow, how how his playmaking is coming back up. You know, kind of seemed long gone from his days with um, Duke in college, and then the Miami Heat when he started off his career, as you know a mid-first-round pick. 10th overall pick. He was the 10th overall pick in 2015. Hard to believe his career started that long ago. Uh, I legit remember being in 10th grade when I kind of really got obsessed with basketball and him coming out of Duke, him going to the Heat, and i he was probably one of the first players I'd followed that went to the NBA because from college, because a lot of the guys, you know, you watch in college, Big Ten, Pac-12, they're the four-year guys that probably aren't going to be lottery picks, but they're absolutely nasty <laughs> at basketball and, and team play. Um, and it's, I think it's become clear that he's, he's kind of, you know, he's 26 now. He's at the age where all of that playmaking can come together when he's, he's on a team that, isn't just trying to play, you know, the future. Um, On a a win-now team, that is definitely something that a player is going to be aggressive with, be it with contract talks, you know, whatever. With him, I think he just loves the game of basketball. Obviously, money plays into it. But, um, you know, you look at his um, games played going from, you know, 78 to 18, Per year, going from seventy-eight to eighteen to sixty-eight to sixty-six to eleven to twenty-six to thirty-seven. Um, already this year, he is uh, <laughs> he's played in eight games with significant minutes. Um, that's already eighty percent, seventy-five to eighty percent of the way to how many games he played um, in his last season, Miami, as well as. With Portland last year so good to see a guy come in and have um, a foreseeable future with Portland that was kind of just like a low-key you know pickup Um, he might be the biggest obviously (laughs) this podcast is um, for later reasons already going to be coined uh, the Josh Hart appreciation podcast, just because of everything he's doing and the fact that he's leading shooting guards in rebounds per game uh, with a brand new team. But and Grant speaks for himself. But Winslow would probably be the biggest um, name for Portland that comes up for me that um, has that sort of you know buy into my game, my goals, my persona. And I'm going to give this franchise all I've got. Um, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, kind of bigger name players. Um, so you expect that from them. You expect it from Justice, no doubt. He's no a professional basketball player. But he's a playmaker as far as facilitating, clearing space, setting screens um, in a way that Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant don't really have their game set up that way. They're both very apt at, you know, making passes, getting assists, getting boards, but uh, Winslow kind of is the one who is trusted in that bench role to see the floor, Um, which used to be Anthony's role. So you got to like how Portland has transitioned um, into having a bench playmaker and like, you know, the guy that brings the ball up and everything like that. And also transitioning Anthony into the starting lineup in a way that it doesn't hinder the bench, and they're getting the the best burn out of their five starters with Anthony in the lineup. Justice is a guy Coach K was particularly close with and admired his game. Um, I mentioned when I was on the uh, we have a take podcast, which if you guys get a chance to check that out, um, had the honor of you know being on the show hosted by uh, Tara and uh, Rose. They actually had a bunch of other Blazers podcasters that had a lot of great insight and um, definitely, you know, go check that out and and give all those guys a follow because they, they put out some, some great content. Um, but I was saying on, you know, that show, um, remember the subway commercials where coach K was like jokingly texting with justice Winslow and everything like that. And he just looked at him. He just looked at him like he admired his game. And as, uh, you know, intense basketball player in his day, um, over at West point. And then obviously with what he likes to see in coaching, you could just tell that justice Winslow brought something to the game that you kind of can't really say you see a lot um, with how he's constantly moving around and seeing things that other guys are not seeing. Um, and then, you know, in this game with Phoenix, uh, the glue guys held down the fort all game, guys like Josh, and Jeremy could get the exact looks it seemed he wanted, and um, With his level of peak conditioning, um, he had plenty left in the tank to hit the dagger at the end of the game for his second-game winner in seven games with a new team. Um, There were seven guys in double figures, Justice, Jeremy, Yusuf, Shaden, uh, Drew Eubanks, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, Um, scoring-wise, all in double figures. So that's something that... um, You also see with the Utah Jazz right now, whereas when you play a brand of team basketball in the NBA that not many teams do, you can't really... I don't think there's really an amazing game plan for that. Um, I don't know if I would say the Blazers roster is deep as hell (laughs) or anything like that, but that's something to be monitored and seems to be trending in the area of, yeah, no, this is this is a deep roster. Um, Hart and Winslow alone had 15 assists. Portland had 30 total, and then Phoenix ended up with 26. Um, anytime you have more assists against CP3's team, uh, you did your job, and you did a damn good one. There's 16 between Booker and Paul. Not, not much you can do about that. You can guard your guy. Everyone can guard their guy, but when it's oops, when it's, you know, Bounce passes around two guys. You just kind of got to take the good with the bad. Uh, Look like the next game of this doubleheader. Mind you, Portland won 108 to 106 on that on that dagger. Jeremy Grant hit. Uh, Look like the next game of the doubleheader might be about who can create plays with their passing again. As far as who would secure the W, um, turned out not to be the case. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't do a show directly after that game because uh, it would have came out like a hot take if I said that. Um, But it was not the case. Um, In their next game of the doubleheader with Phoenix, both teams had 22 assists. So sometimes stats, you know, don't matter. Other times stats are the biggest part of the game. So, um, you know, that's something on this show that I I, I look to explore more this year especially with, you know, when I do some of these, um, game preview and game reaction shows with some cool guys that, uh, cover the opposing teams Portland's playing, um, which you can catch next week on Wednesday. Um, one, of, one for the Cavs Blazers matchup, but I don't get into the analytics as much as I probably should. Um, but no doubt they play a key role in the game and, uh, I like to kind of pick the brains of people with more analytical minds when it comes to the NBA. Portland got off to a start where Josh Hart tends to do this. <laughs> he was leaping on D, tipping passes, getting you know, getting tip balls, getting the ball back to Portland when they're on defense, and his timing is just immaculate on some of those, um, not only with how he reads the passing lane, but also his timing with when he does it. It seems like right from the jump, first three plays, he's doing something to, you know, get Portland the ball back on a run. Uh, especially when it's at Moda Center, you know, come key game time down the end of the season, down the road to the end of the season. Lord willing, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> whatever religion you identify with as a Portland fan. I hope you'll pray that Josh Hart um, stays healthy because it's just he plays beautiful basketball. Um, And so, you know, Nurkic kind of gets back to his fundamental traditional post up early on against Phoenix in this game. And, you know, it's working well uh, until the Suns figure it out. Nurkic was giving the Suns guards a hard time on the perimeter. And as the first quarter progressed, and then the second quarter, you know, they just started cutting hard to the basket, and Nurkic wasn't really helping on D at that point. You know, you hear a lot of people, Nurkic kind of has some infamy around him for occasionally having a game where it doesn't seem like he's trying. I don't think it's that. I think he either gets so frustrated with something that he could have prevented, which who knows which play on any, you know, given night an NBA player gets stuck in their mind. But it's either that, it's either that or just, you know, a uh, product of coincidence, you know, maybe he didn't know a guy was going to cut hard to the basket and it appears he didn't, you know, jump right away or try, I think he's trying every second he's on the court. I don't know, though, on some plays, just occasionally, what is in Nurkic's head being objective here. um, It just seems like, you know, maybe as a guy who's a rim protector, you're going to have plays that you can't always get there as fast as you may have liked to or fans may have liked you to. Um, But that being said... Nurkic then had a play, a play where the NBA broadcasters um called it a Chris Paul rip through move. They're like that Chris Paul rip through move Yusuf just did. Um, so that was that was cool to hear. You know, just getting compared to a Hall of Fame point guard at center. <laughs> Kinda of, Maybe an anomaly in that game. Uh, Torrey Craig has a court vision pass to Ayton that kind of um is a spark plug for the Suns' offense to get out to a uh, 21-point lead at halftime. He really works well from the corners as a dual-shoot pass threat. Um, I noticed on plays where he and Booker either screen or cut for each other, um, the four and the fives struggle to get to the play. And you see that in this game um, with Nurkic. Probably has to be closer to the ball side. Um, there weren't a lot of plays in the second half with the cutting and the screening for each other. So I wasn't able to see if Nurkic, you know, was able to adjust or not, but, um, there was an occasional Villanova on Villanova crime, uh, Bridges scored on Josh Hart. Just, just a cool fact from the game. Uh, both those guys won a national championship and are now playing, in the professional <laughs> just a cool fact from the game that uh two NCAA champions have had sustainable and also comparable careers in the NBA performance wise. Very impressive. Um Shaden Sharp is already understanding something so far as this Suns game as well as prior. Um He's understanding something important, and it was on display several times, and it's how to time his movement around the perimeter. And he sneaks, he lurks, he's kind of behind his teammates, and then he pushes out to create space to bury easy threes. Um, And then right before the half, you know, Portland, when they were down, right before the half, before Portland was down 21, (laughs) uh, Sharp has another impressive dunk. About six minutes into the second quarter, do it that way you will. In the second half, um, Little kind of started getting his shot off again and again The a few games prior and into this game. He's getting some of these 9-12 to 12 point games. I have noticed that he does not hesitate as soon as he touches the ball when he's kind of that, that guy in the middle of the play where whoever he's passing to kind of sets up the scoring option. Um, he either drives hard. And instead of doing the jump step fake, he just hands it right off before he even gets into the jump step. I like that move. I think he has a lot of a lot in his bag as far as jump stopping, driving, cutting. He's, he's very notorious for that, even in high school, college, that he kind of has um, that edge on other guys on cutting and driving, which is huge for a forward. Um, but that being said, he's he's been a lot more insightful in this next stretch in this, you know, most recent stretch of games uh, with his mid-range jumpers and with reaction time and I even play his first step is about a half a second quicker getting rid of some of those hesitation hop steps um and you know, he's not stalling the offensive possession with those as much. He still uses them. They don't always work, but he's using them in a less predictable way. Um, Portland stayed down twenty points all of the second half. Uh seemingly evident that Portland did or it's seemingly evident the Suns did their homework on Portland's players with the quickest driving abilities, you know, the young guns. There weren't those guys like in the first game in the doubleheader that, you know, were dropping ten to fifteen points, um, under the age of twenty seven. <laughs> and uh Phoenix made that adjustment on the young guns, so to speak. They closed out, you know, as little as they could on guys like Keon and Shaden, even with the talent they possessed with shot creation, um, leaving the rest of their defense space to kind of concoct a sea of defenders in front of the fours and the fives. Nurkic and Grant weren't able to get, you know, a crazy amount going. Um, and that was kind of that. Portland took the loss in that game by 20 Um, you know, you're going to have games in the season and this isn't an excuse kind of like that Miami game, you know, allowing 119 kind of getting, you know, double digit losses, um, losing by 20 to Phoenix. These are top four teams respectfully in their conferences, probably, you know, competing for those top four spots, uh, the next three years with, with their cores. And And that's something they have been the last two years, um, really the last three years for Miami. Take a break from the action to start a new segment here on the show, Um, one I'm proud to present. Don't think it's on, you know, a crazy amount of shows, but I also don't think anyone's going (laughs) to steal this idea. Um, Just kind of cool. It's former Blazers in the NBA. This week I decided to go with CJ McCollum with the Pelicans. Um, a guy that is, you know, already proving even after kind of like an exit without much fanfare from Portland due to due to like a serious lung injury. Um, this is a guy at this point in in his career has been in a lot of rankings as a top twenty-five shooting guard of all time. I think he's moving in well within. By the end of his career, barring injuries, top 15, top 12 shooting guard of all time. This is a guy who's kind of proven everything you can prove on the offensive end as far as being a second scoring option at shooting guard. Um, Obviously to Dane. At times, but also at times, he was the first scoring option and dropped 50 points. So this is a guy kind of moving more into the primary um, shot creator, and things of that nature with Zion being, you know, mainly in the post. And so it's really awesome to see someone who I personally have uh, wrestled with calling my favorite player with, as opposed to Damian Lillard, for at least five years now. Um, It's really exciting to see him, you know, not get a second chance because it's not like (laughs) He messed anything up. He did everything you could ask a guy to do. Um, But, you know, moving on to New Orleans, it's cool to see him kind of, you know, get that national spotlight at times again. Um, With his mentality, his attack, his drive, um, it kind of makes you forget about height. It makes you think of hard over height, kind of like Nate Robinson would always say. Um, You look at a guy who in high school, as a young as a young buck, uh, was going up against guys at least a foot taller than him at all times, um, guys that were at least five inches taller than him at his position, you know, until the growth spurt. And you gotta wonder, many if there are many cases out there where someone's bag is that clearly evident from such a young age. Um, You see, you know, you'd always say earned it out the mud when he was with Portland. And it kind of shows that he (laughs) is a dog in the trenches like he is able to create shots that you or I would have to probably study 50,000 hours to even do in 2K. (laughs) Um, But but it's you know, it's lovely to see his playmaking abilities on display. We know and we've heard all about his playmaking abilities, you know, when Dame was hurt, when he's, you know, leading the bench, Dame gets rest for um, when Dame and CJ are on the court together when they staggered their minutes when he was in Portland. And it's just clearly on display as pretty much the primary guy on New Orleans, you know, games racking up seven assists, nine assists. He's averaging 6.5 assists as of recording this, (laughs) as aforementioned, prior to the Spurs-Blazers game ending. Um, And, you know, it's up until today, the 15th. So, granted, he had a game with zero assists, but he had 10 boards and 29 points. So, it's kind of like, I think New Orleans is a team that does a lot of iso ball. And for him to be with, you know, Brandon Ingram... Zion, and uh, Devontae Graham play some iso ball, too. It's remarkable to see a guy on an iso team get that many assists. Also, CJ, as the um, NBA Players Association president, um, spoke out on the um, Kyrie Irving tweets. Um, You know, he made a statement about numerous bad statements that are progressively getting worse and worse in interviews and stuff like that, Um, and as always, it was an intelligent statement. It was professional. Um, it's not bashing. It's just an intellectual approach to, um, some heavy, um, disheartening statements that Kyrie made and, you know, in his typical fashion was able to intellectually approach such a hot button issue. NBA players association, um, he's straight to the point. And I think he's great for that role because he just wants to see everyone get along and thrive. And he said, um, as quoted from ESPN's Andrew Lopez, um, it's safe to say that we know that Kyrie and all of us, me specifically, I can speak for myself, specifically condemn anti-Semitism in any form. I'm specifically against it. I specifically believe in promoting equality, diversity, and inclusion. He then said, um that he thinks the important part was that Kyrie did apologize. He's displayed empathy now. I think this is a learning experience in which I don't think he understood the magnitude of the movie because he didn't watch it. I just, I love the way CJ talks. Um, you can tell that, you know, he journals about it. He writes about it. He contemplates it before he says anything. Um, he really is a beautiful speaker um, and has beautiful character And it's just, it's great to see something like this. It's not going to get the news headlines or when you look up Kyrie Irving's statement, it's not going to come up on the news because, you know, a lot of people don't really want to um, confront it in an insightful way. Um, But I'm really glad CJ did that. And um, I'm really glad that, you know, he stated what a lot of people probably don't think too far into it to say is that. I like that he really drew attention to the fact that, and you know, not giving, he didn't give him the benefit of the doubt or anything like that. He was simply saying, um, you know, it's a learning experience for someone who not even probably doesn't understand entirely what that movie is about. Um, so cool to see CJ, um, doing his thing in new Orleans um, fun fact, I used to work for a, uh, mail delivery agent, uh, in the spring, early summer and someone came in and, uh, I noticed they had shipped to a CJ McCollum in Portland. So I was like, uh, do you know CJ McCollum? <laughs> Cause it's just, I live in Buffalo, New York. And I'm like, I, I have no idea how this is even possible. This is, this has gotta be just a coincidence. And um, he was actually actually said he was um, in some form, I think, through um, CJ getting married, technically related to CJ. Um, and he kind of talked about you know the collapsed lung uh, injury that CJ had when he left Portland, um, and it sounded like something CJ would say. He said that uh, you know he was he was already mentally prepared to be in New Orleans um, and that, you know, any of the stuff out there that, that injury was going to lead to like limited minutes or whatever. CJ was already planning on being back to full form. Like he, he does, he does his homework when he gets injured. Um, me personally, if I had to collapse lung, I'd probably just like, I don't even, <laughs> I don't know that, I had a family member with that, and that that's very, very tough to even go through. So, um, much respect for CJ's game, his work ethic, his thoughtfulness this season already. And um, he will most likely be on another former Blazers in the NBA segment as um, the top points per game player uh, by far as a former Blazer. And... Currently. Right now. This year, to clarify. Um, was thinking about doing Gary Trent Junior next. He's having quite quite an early beginning to a season. Seems like if it was on a graph, it's kind of like hot game, hot game, hot game. What the heck was that? Hot game, hot game. What the heck, what the heck? But um, see who uh, see who does something. Not I'm not looking for you know crazy statistical performances, but just something intriguing and exciting with their career um you know so see see who's up next week um, as far as around the division and around the league the northwest division um right after that Phoenix game, had it combined 5.5 games back from first between the second, third, and fourth teams. Uh, to put that in perspective, at the time, Houston alone had 5.5 games back from first <laughs> in the Southwest Division. Uh, just something to put into perspective. And I, I, I honestly think at this point the Blazers' conference – I honestly think at this point, the Blazers division has got to be the best division as far as watching any team's games. Um, the stuff that the young guys are doing, Michael Porter jr. Uh, Anthony Edwards, Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis probably stands out the most to me right now as a young guy um, in the division besides Portland. Um, and then what every player is doing on Utah is just fun to watch. Um, And, of course, the reigning MVP being in the division. Um, um, But, yeah. So Back to the action on the court for Portland. Uh, Blazers took on the Heat again after the Phoenix doubleheader. Josh Hart, once again, playing good cop. Kind of looks like he's going to set up Jeremy Grant in the second half. Kind of looks like, yet again, he's going to set it up for the bad cop, Jeremy Grant, the bad man who hits the daggers. Uh, and would you look at that, Josh Hart hit the game-winning three himself. Um, these guys, you just can't be happier <laughs> with with uh, the off-season product coming in as a Portland fan. You just can't be happier with the offseason assets acquired that fit into what appears to be the system Chauncey Billups. Has orchestrated since the since the time he could think. Um, it's just it, it's been impressive, and I think management, the front office, plays a big role in it. The shot production, these plays are running creates. It, I really think Chauncey is just um, showing what he's capable of as an offensive and a defensive mind. Um, obviously, he's a he's been a Finals MVP, so. Just very excited to see how that ties into what the product will be on the court for the players, (laughs) you know, that are within the organization, having a guy like that, not just, not just mentoring them, but giving them all the tools to do what he did on both ends of the court. Uh, (laughs) If you had, if you had 12 Chauncey Billups on your team, you wouldn't lose a game for 10 years. So Portland took that one down 110 to 107 against Miami, a game in which five players combined for 91 points. Um, not really a hot take, but I think it's safe to say anytime four players combined for 90 points, uh, you're you're going to win at least a good chunk, of a good portion of 10 games if you did that 10 games in a row. And Portland maintained that against Charlotte in their next game. They won 105-95. to And between Eubanks, Simons, Lillard, and Sharp, there were 76 combined points between four players, Sharp, Lillard, Simons, and Eubanks. So anytime you can do that, granted LaMelo Ball didn't play, um, but anytime you can do that, you know, you're going to have a good chance. And not just a good chance. You're going to have the energy of the crowd. Next, Portland took on the Pelicans. And would you, would you look at that? Five players combined for a total of, wait for it, 94 points. CJ had a near triple-double for the Pelicans, 13-7-7. Um, another guy that's fun to watch, Herb Jones. With uh, 10, 3, and 3, he had he had a you know a solid game. He's not gonna have every single game be crazy like last year in his career, where you know he has four blocks, three steals. But his impact is definitely noted when you watch on the defensive end of the court and with how he spaces the floor as a three and D guy on offense. And then obviously Zion was Zion with 29, 6, 3, and uh, steal. So he was, you know, kind of getting a lot of the stuff he wanted inside in the first half. And then Portland kind of pulled away in the second half. And within two minutes, Grant had um, a layup, a dunk, and the Seer Little got a dunk. And I think that kind of set the game apart. Um, at that point, they never trialed by, or I'm sorry. At that point, the Pelicans trailed by at least nine the rest of the game. Last, but certainly not least, as far as fanfare goes for Portland games, um, they took on the Dallas Mavericks. And and this was one of those games where, you know, had I made the hot take of, oh four, three four guys get over 70 points, you're going to win, uh, would make me look like a fool. Um, luckily, I did not say that. And... Luckily, I did not verbally package it that way. And uh, Portland had three guys combined. And so Portland had three guys combined for 80 points. And, you know, this is kind of one of those games where it's an anomaly. Um, You can't even say, oh, well, they only have three guys in double figures. No, they had three guys (laughs) dominating on the offensive end. Um, Grant with 37. 37. Anthony with 24 and Dame with 29. Also 12 assists to go with Dame's 29. Um, This just kind of was one of those games where having Josh Hart wasn't enough to conquer the two-headed monster of Dinwiddie and Luka. Josh Hart did his job the entire game, did other people's jobs a quarter of the game. Um, but there were a couple, a dozen possessions where it wasn't a, per se, a defensive breakdown. Granted, there were a lot of those for Portland in this game. Um, you know, granted there were a handful of those for Portland in this game, but they're doing a lot better with the frequency of those and, um, getting, not to throw anyone under the bus, but Trent and Watford, um, has one or two a game, and I think it's just a product of getting used to the system. Um, a guy that primarily was playing with none of the starters last year, virtually none of them, except Nurkic at times, um, because they were they were kind of resting people for a a poor record a poor record season. Um, I think he'll adjust. He reminds me a lot of Gary Trent Jr. actually, from his time in Portland, um, and and not just <laughs> and not just because his uh, his hair is fun, it's because he kind of brings um, a step to the court where he sees lanes, he sees where people are going, offense or defense, and he knows how to get that step ahead. Um, that's a skill that, if fine tuned turns you into a, a maestro. Um, obviously, guys at every echelon of NBA talent possess some of that. Um, but, I, like I said, this game came down to not defensive breakdowns, but something else. And that something else was that Dallas has, uh, <laughs> has six spot-up three-point shooters on their team and and they held their own with they held their own with them from 3 but it was just too much at the end you didn't see defensive breakdowns you saw four or five passes two of them being from Luka from the perimeter in a row and you just you can't really close out the space between five guys with even six guys, it's just you can't get to a pass. You know what I mean? You can't get to a pass before. You can't get to a pass before the ball gets there. It's just you're not that fast. <laughs> just, just uh, simple physics. Um, I remember way back, like before even high school. I remember we had this uh, after school program, and they'd always tell us with like kickball baseball whatever sport we were playing like the the um kind of like the gym teacher but like they were oddly enough not a gym teacher of the school so I don't I don't know what this was and my parents definitely didn't pay for no like tier 1 training because I didn't know crap about sports yet but anyway uh they would always say here th- here throw the ball to second you run uh run around first, run to second. And they're like you got to beat you got to beat the ball there and the person would always be whoever the kid was would always be furious. Granted half the time it was me. And um that's when, you know, you start to realize yeah, um you're going to get <laughs> Jesus. You're going to get to the ball after it's reached the recipient if it's a well thrown pass. So there's just <laughs> I'm not saying Portland couldn't have done a better job defending throughout the whole game, but at the end of the game, the passes were just so good that i any team in the league, honestly, I like the Mavs chances when they're passing like that. Um that was that was just nutty. Obviously, Luka ended with 42 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. The the points aren't going to kill you from Luka when you have Damon Anthony and Jeremy all contributing. <laughs> But what's gonna kill you is those lobs to players that guys like Josh Hart and Jeremy cannot get to in two steps. Guys like Christian would um I think down the stretch, chasing around the um other members of the offense when Luca had the ball to prevent, you know, a breakdown is kind of what took the energy out of Portland be very interested to see how Portland plays Dallas um, in future matchups this year. If they adjust that, obviously every team attempts <laughs> to adjust to the team they're playing after a loss to them. Um, but how well they do that is something to be monitored. Now it it can't I can't go without saying how excited I am for Damian Lillard and to see this team moving forward. Because he was doing the things, and there's one game that will always stick out in my mind. Just for almost like every time you touch the ball, he did something crazy. It was against the Pacers. Couldn't tell you two to four years ago at some point. I just always think of the Pacers game. Anyway, he was getting to the basket. He was doing these off-balance, off-hand layups. At the rim, like Tony Parker layups, like 15 assists, I think he had. This game he had against the Mavericks, he had 29 and 12. It was it was one of those games where he was he was true to form like like peak Lillard. And um I definitely would love to see that again moving forward. And so that that had to be said, they did lose by five. They lost to Dallas, one seventeen to one twelve, um, but Blazers fans, hope I'm hoping you're proud of uh, your team's your team's effort, your team's talent, your team's uh, persona, character, all of it so far this year. Um, going forward, the Blazers. If you don't feel like looking it up, I'll tell you right now, uh, the Blazers play the Spurs tonight, which you guys will hear. Um, Wednesday, so um, they play the Spurs, and then, um, of course, the Spurs game, the Blazers play the Spurs, then Thursday, they play the Nets, be interesting, Kevin Durant was leading the NBA in total points, see, <laughs> see if they have an answer for him, who the heck they're going to put on him, and then, um, later this week, they face the Jazz. So we'll see how that goes. Might do an episode um, in between uh, this one and um, next week's Cavs preview show. I have uh, a pretty awesome guest for that. Talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Um, but to end the show, I do have uh, three t- takeaways from the past two weeks. Two more weeks of Blazers action, if you will. Um, Three takeaways, and then um, a takeaway from the league as it relates to Portland. So, Blazers takeaways. um, Prior to the Dallas game, it seemed clear that a backcourt supplemented by Josh Hart can hang with anyone on defense. Now I would modify this. You can tell this team cares adamantly about defense, which we have not seen from Portland in nearly half a decade. A backcourt supplemented by Josh Hart should eventually be able to hang with anyone on defense. Second, no, I'm sorry. In three games played between them total, Anthony and Dame have shot 27 free throws and made 24 of them. You can anticipate this continuing this week. They've been driving hard and leaning into contact in a way that they haven't strung together before in the past at the same time. So, very interesting. Could be a game changer for them. Third, Portland is ranked 6 in opponents' points per game at 107.4 points per game allowed. Remarkable. I think this week they can hold each opponent under 115. I think it's safe to say the Spurs game is included, but there are those anomaly games (laughs) because it's the NBA (laughs) where a team like the Magic beat the Warriors. Um, Anywho, (laughs) uh, the takeaway from the league as a whole as it relates to Portland is this. Denver, Dallas, Memphis, Phoenix, among some others, were almost assured to have sustainable success this year atop the Western Conference standards. Portland is also now humbly sitting pretty at the top. Uh, Utah is up there now as a team to be monitored as to whether it's sustainable. Their culture uh, has been trending slightly towards sustainable. Barring injury and chemistry, uh, among others, Golden State can approach that echelon as well. Memphis, as one of those teams with early, early uh, pre-season standing, or preseason previews and rankings and all of that good stuff, um has to be the most interesting team to monitor. They have player health issues already being a factor. Obviously being trying to be careful with their stars. Granted, they're nine and six, which if it was an Eastern Conference, that sustained record would be good enough to get you a first round matchup with a <laughs> usually a thirty-eight and 44 win team. I think my math's correct. Yeah, that'd be 82 games. Yeah, you could be 38 and 44 and the Grizzlies if they kept this record. That'd be your matchup. It's not the case in the West. Um, Still, still very impressive for you know a limited supply of uh, roster right now for Memphis. Uh, But what's interesting? Get this: Memphis only has a plus point five. Points per game average compared to opponents points per game. Portland is right around three. Portland is at plus two point three points per game. The big question is sustainability. Top I would say the top six teams in the West are close. Eight of those teams are close. (laughs) Ten of those teams are close. Counting Golden State being 12th in the conference at four and four in the conference, six and eight total. Counting Golden State being six and eight in the 12th spot, you have to imagine they'll move into the top 10. Four of those teams, including Portland right now, look like it's sustainable for the whole year. New Orleans, I think, again, so many teams could get into that, but right now, Portland is there. So I'll leave you with that for today's show. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. As aforementioned, you can catch my Cavs Blazers preview episode airing next Wednesday prior to the 7 p.m. tip-off. I'll be joined by Mac Perry, who has done a lot of intelligent work for for SB Nation's Fear the Sword, King James Gospel, and hosting its Cavalier podcast. Hope you'll tune in next time, and I hope you like what you heard. Take care, y'all. Peace.